How will the Trump administration regulate healthcare data? And a tax scam targets businesses. These stories and more coming up in the ISMG Security Report. Hello, I'm Eric Chabro. Enforcers of the Health Information Portability and Accountability Act imposed on a Texas pediatric hospital with a mammoth $3.2 million fine because the hospital failed to properly encrypt mobile devices as well as comply with other HIPAA regulations. Does this action signify that the Donald Trump administration will be tough with enforcing HIPAA rules, or is this a case merely left over from Barack Obama's tenure? Looking into this is Healthcare Info Security Editor Marianne Kolbasak-McGee. Hi, Marianne. Hi, Eric. First, uh, what's the skinny one, the penalty imposed on the Children's Medical Center of Dallas? The Department of Health and Human Services Office for Civil Rights smacked the pediatric hospital with the $3.2 million civil monetary penalty after investigating a few breaches involving unencrypted mobile devices and uncovering long-standing failures to comply with HIPAA over several years. For instance, OCR says that despite the medical center's knowledge about the risk of maintaining unencrypted electronic protected health information on its devices as far back as 2000. 2007, the hospital issued unencrypted BlackBerry devices to nurses and allowed its workforce members to continue using unencrypted laptops and other mobile devices until 2013. What makes this enforcement action against children's different from other HIPAA enforcement actions that we've seen from OCR in breach cases also involving unencrypted devices is that most of the time OCR will reach a voluntary financial settlement and corrective action plan with an entity found to have violated HIPAA. In this case, OCR must have seen something more egregious, and that's where this civil monetary penalty came in. Should we interpret this penalty as proof that the Trump administration will be tough on healthcare entities that don't properly comply with HIPAA regulations? No, I don't think this latest HIPAA enforcement action by OCR can help you read the tea leaves very much when it comes to what HIPAA enforcement might look like under the Trump administration. OCR's investigation into this case was in the works a long time before Trump took office, and the jury is still out. Kirk Nara is privacy and security attorney at law firm Wiley Ryan. He deals with health care, and just days before the Children's Medical Center ruling, he explained what he'll be looking for to determine whether or not the Trump administration's approach to HIPAA enforcement is strong. We're going to see whether we're going to have continued enforcement. Are we going to have continued budget support for the Office of Civil Rights, Office of the National Coordinator, Federal Trade Commission, people like that? We really don't know the answer to that yet. I would not expect a dramatic change in anything. I think we're going to continue to see reasonable enforcement. I wouldn't expect to see a ramping up of enforcement particularly, but we're going to see continued enforcement in the thoughtful, responsible way that the Office for Civil Rights in particular has done for many years. There's a lot of non-HIPAA healthcare data floating around the cyber world, much of it not regulated. You see wearables, mobile apps, healthcare websites, wellness programs, to name a few, and none subject to HIPAA rules. Do we know how the Trump administration will address this? It's unclear. The Obama administration began to look into this but never took a clear action. Here again is Kirk Nara. The Obama administration, as part of its overall sort of big data thought leadership, was identifying that concern and essentially raising the idea that we need to address that, but there wasn't much progress on actually doing anything about that. And I expect that problem to continue over the next few years, but I'm not sure that's an issue that's really going to percolate in this new administration. Should the Trump administration decide to regulate these other forms of health care data, there would have to be a reduction in other regulations, right? 
Yes. Trump recently issued an executive order that basically says that for every new regulation issued by an executive branch department or agency, two previous regulations need to be identified for elimination. But when it comes to HIPAA and other health care regulations, that is probably much easier said than done. For instance, when it comes to existing regulations, are the HIPAA privacy, security, and breach notification rules each considered one regulation, or are they considered many, many regulations? since there are so many provisions and requirements in each. Sounds interesting. (laughs) I guess the lawyers will be busy. Yeah, sounds that way. Thanks, Marianne. Thanks, Eric. Often, online scams involving the U.S. tax agency, the Eternal Revenue Service, focuses on individual taxpayers. But criminals targeting businesses have netted billions of dollars from unsuspecting businesses. ISMG Security and Technology Editor Jeremy Kirk explains. The IRS is warning of an uptick in cybercrime as tax season kicks off. The agency says scammers are tricking organizations into sending wage data on employees, the so-called W-2 form, and then tricking them into making fraudulent wire transfers. Some companies have already lost thousands of dollars this year. IRS Commissioner John Koskinen says in a news release that this is one of the most dangerous email phishing schemes we've seen in a long time. It can result in the large-scale theft of sensitive data that criminals can use to commit various crimes, including filing fraudulent tax returns. Last year, the IRS saw for the first time attempts to trick companies into sending out batches of employees' W-2 forms. The form contains names, addresses, social security numbers, and wage data. To convince unwitting employees, fraudsters modify emails to change the sender's address and make it appear that the messages come from within the same organization. The emails are often targeted at payroll or human resources officers, with the sender purporting to be an executive. In late January, the IRS warned it was seeing fresh attempts for W-2-related fraud this year. But then, just over a week later, the IRS said it was seeing the scam wrapped up with another one, fraudulent wire transfers. The new strategy is a one-two punch. If the request for the W-2s is successful, the fraudsters quickly come back with another request for a wire transfer. Over the last few years, fraudsters have had astounding success with these types of scams. They're sometimes referred to as business email compromise or business email spoofing. The FBI started tracking the activity in October 2013. Since then, the agency estimates that criminals have collectively stolen or attempted to steal $3.1 billion globally. The best defense against the attacks is more process-related than technology. The IRS says organizations should create internal policies that more closely vet requests for employee information or for wire transfers. The FBI recommends those types of requests be verified either in person or on the phone, where there's a much lower chance of deception. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Jeremy Kirk. You're listening to the ISMG Security Report on ISMG Radio. ISMG, your number one source for information security news. Using malware to infect individuals' PCs and drain their bank accounts continues to be a lucrative source of income for criminals, but such cybercrime has never been a risk-free undertaking. Joining me to explain the risks cyber criminals face is Data Breach Today editor Matt Schwartz. Hi, Matt. Hello, Eric. You're covering a case in which authorities nabbed a cyber criminal named Vyash Heslav Kemov. Who is he and what did he do? 
This is an ongoing case being investigated by the FBI's cybercrime unit. And based on the court documents, there seem to be at least five people involved in this alleged cybercrime operation, which includes banking malware, which the attackers allegedly used to drain victims' accounts via wire transfers, and a program of money laundering involving the use of money mules to launder the funds via accounts in the United States, as well as overseas. How did this campaign work? Based on what is included in an FBI affidavit and complaint, the banking malware was used to infect victims' PCs in the United States. There's no details on what kind of malware was used, but typically it would make a person's online banking portal look like it was behaving correctly, when in reality, behind the scenes, attackers would have access to the banking portal after someone had logged in. You're browsing the summary of your recent banking transactions or whatnot behind the scenes. The attackers are draining the money, rerouting it to another account, in this case, in the United States. After the money got moved, then it got further redirected, probably to make it more difficult for investigators to follow the trail, further redirected to various accounts in the United States, as well as overseas. One of the co-conspirators, who hasn't been named, allegedly had 14 bank accounts at 11 different banks in three different countries, and the money was moved between those different accounts. Not all this is happening in cyberspace. There's a physical element, as you mentioned. There are these mules. Explain that. Well, the tricky part with cybercrime and stealing people's money is that you don't want the money to remain digital forever. You need to cash out at some point. One way that attackers will attempt to cash out is to use intermediaries called money mules. Many times these individuals are recruited via work at home sorts of scams and asked to deposit money and then to write a cashier's check, maybe keeping 10% of the funds for themselves and to send that check to somebody else. By doing this, the attackers create a fall guy, which is the money mule, that is touching the money and then moving it along. From there, it can get deposited by somebody else and then further moved along. I think the thinking is that by the time the authorities come sniffing around, people, attackers located overseas, have already made enough money that they can allow the intermediaries to get burned. Despite this one case, such cyber crimes remain attractive. Why so? it is extremely low risk. Obviously, if you're someone like the guy who just pleaded guilty to this stuff and you're based in Brooklyn and you've been tied to $230,000 in related wire transfers, you could end up going to jail for a long time. But a lot of cybercrime continues to come out of Eastern Europe and there are no extradition treaties. If you're running a crime campaign from over there, it's relatively risk-free. You can use malware, which is remote. You can set up intermediaries to transfer the funds eventually to you. And at the end of the day, if you've done it right, as this case shows, you stand to make millions. Thanks, Matt. Thank you, Eric. Finally, some gifted 10th graders in Israel are taking after-school classes in encryption tactics and how to stop malicious hacking. Even kindergartners are being taught computer skills in Israel. According to the Associated Press, the training programs are part of Israel's quest to become a world leader in cybersecurity by placing its hope in the country's youth. Speaking to high school students attending a cyber technology expo, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu called on the students to strengthen the nation with their curiosity. Your years in security services, Netanyahu said, will be golden years for the security of the nation. That's the ISMG Security Report. Our theme is by Ithaca Audio. I'm Eric Chabro. Catch you next time. Music